0: let's pray. Blessed are you, our Lord. Teach us your statutes. With our lips we declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies we delight as much as in all riches. Help us to meditate on your precepts and fix our eyes on your ways. Then we will delight in your statutes and we will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servants that we may live and keep your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your scriptures, and hear us we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If you'd please turn with me in God's word to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 10. While you're doing that, I'll apologize for that psalm tune. When we were younger and my dad was a pastor and would choose psalm tunes that were unsingable, we would say, you're killing psalm singing one psalm at a time. Um, And apparently I'm picking up the family tradition. So uh, hopefully next week we'll pick ones that are a little more singable. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10. The words of Psalm 61 are good. Uh, It's the tune that's a little challenging. Uh, But we'll, we'll turn together in God's word to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And we're going to read from God's word from verses 12 to 22. Verses 12 to 22. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers, and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Thus far the reading of God's word may he bless it to us. Well, we're continuing our study through the Heidelberg Catechism. If you're visiting with us, we've been going through the Catechism, and we've come to the part of the Catechism that explains to us the Ten Commandments. And we're thinking this evening particularly about the Third Commandment, "'You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain.'" Um, and this law, in particular, relates to not just how we use God's word and God's name, but how we swear in God's name. Um, this is always a, a com- part of the commandment. I think that's something of a challenge. It's interesting to me that of all the Ten Commandments, as the Catechism explains them, there's only one commandment that gets two Lord's Days. Um, two Sundays are given to the treatment of the command, um, and one of the that command is the third commandment about using the name of the Lord properly. And this Lord's Day focuses particularly on swearing in God's name. Uh, now, if we we're going to do a, a topical series and you know the issues that really confront us today, um, maybe swearing oaths in God's name would not rate very high on our list of things to talk about. Um, And it rated high clearly on the Reformers' list of things to talk about. They thought that this required a Lord's Day on its own to think about. Um, And even though this might not be an issue on our minds, we do live in a world where we are taking oaths all the time. Whether we realize it or not, whether we think much about it or not, uh, we are oftentimes swearing to, to statements that are true. Just this week, I had to renew my passport, and I had to submit a form, and I had to sign something saying under the penalty of perjury that everything I said on this form is true. Um, And so, you know, I signed my name, and I send it off, and um, you are affirming everything is true. Um, Then I had to do something else for another company this week, and I had to, under penalty of perjury, say that everything I told them was true. Um, We have to take vows in those kinds of circumstances. If you want to become a citizen, you have to take vows. Um, if you want to get evidence at a trial, um, you, have to take vow, you have to take vows, you have to swear an oath to tell the truth, uh, to serve on a jury, to serve in the armed forces, you have to swear oaths in all of these sort of circumstances. So this is still very much actually something that we do a lot of. Oaths are something that people still take seriously. Um, if you're in a courtroom and you swear to tell the truth and you're caught not telling the truth, the judge will take that seriously. Um, And so we we do still live in a world of oaths, but I think it was particularly in the minds of reformers because they not only lived in a world where oaths had to be taken, but they lived in a world where they they would have been accused of being oath breakers. Um, you might think of Martin Luther and his story as a reformer. Uh, many of us learn, you know, the story of Martin Luther. Um, we would think about it maybe around the end of this, this month. We'd think about the things surrounding him nailing the 95 Theses on, on the door in Wittenberg. And, and one of the reasons that we, we would talk about him, and we would talk about the, him getting caught in a thunderstorm and being really worried that he was going to die out in the open in this thunderstorm. And so he swore an oath to his father's patron saint, St. Anne, that if she would preserve him, he would become a monk. Um, And so he became a monk, and some of the things that he swore becoming a monk is that he would live a life of obedience uh, to the church, that he would live a life of chastity, that he would never get married, that he would live a life of poverty. He was committing to those things. And when they decided that he needed to become a Bible teacher, they put him under oath to teach God's word. Um, And so they lived in a world of oaths, and some people made the argument the Reformers were oath-breakers. They had made all of these oaths, and they didn't take them seriously, because after all, Martin Luther didn't remain obedient to the church, um, and he didn't remain under his vow of chastity. He eventually married, and he didn't commit to his Lifelong commitment of poverty, although his wife thought he was doing everything he could to keep them poor. Um, But it wasn't because of his oath that he was doing those things. And some people were saying, you're an oath-breaker. You took oaths to do all these things, and now you're not living up to your oaths. And his contention was always, I took an oath to teach the word of God sincerely and truly. I am keeping my oath. So on the one hand, you had this idea that there are these oath breakers who were in the Reformed communion, that we don't take oath making seriously. And at the same time, there were a bunch of radical Anabaptists who were saying, there is no such thing as oath swearing. You shouldn't swear oaths at all. Um, And they refused to take any kind of oath. Government oaths, any kind of oath. Uh, because they said God's word clearly says you're not supposed to take oaths and they would appeal to Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus said again you have heard it that was said by those of old you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn but I say to you do not take an oath at all either by heaven for it is the throne of God or by the earth for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Or James seems to say the same thing in James chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So while we might think it's strange to have uh, Lord's Day committed to oath swearing, it's something that they dealt with in their day. It's something that we deal with regularly in our day. And it is something worth thinking about because we are engaging the name of God. One of the things that we talked about in our last consideration of taking the Lord's name in vain is that the Lord connects who he is with his name. Um, And to use his name in a way that does not honor his name says that the way I use his name is what I think of him. And if I use his name in empty and worthless ways, what essentially I'm saying is that the Lord himself is empty and worthless. Um, And we need to think about how we honor God's name and how we think about his name when it comes to taking oaths and swearing oaths. And so we want to think about this Lord's Day and what God's word tells us about um, oath-making in two simple questions. First of all, may we swear reverently. And the answer to that question is yes, we can. Um, The second question is, must we swear by anyone or anything besides God? And the answer, of course, is no. And we want to think about that together from God's word. May we swear reverently? Well, that's what we read in question 101. Um, But may we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? Yes, when the government demands it or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is grounded in God's word and was rightly used by the saints in the Old and New Testaments. Um, We can divide this question maybe into two parts. Should oaths be taken at all? And if so, under what circumstances should they be taken? Um, when, when should we get into this? Um, because especially the passages we read from Matthew five and James five seem to suggest we shouldn't. Right? That that seems like we shouldn't be swearing oaths. And so why would we say yes, you should, when it seems like Jesus is saying no, you shouldn't? Right? If, if we start doing things that Jesus says not to do, that's a bad policy. Uh, we don't want to be in, in that business. But we want to properly understand what Jesus came to do. When he came to say these things. He said said what he said in Matthew chapter 5. Not to those who were standing by their oaths and standing by the truth. But those who were using oaths as a hustle or dodge. They were using the kinds of oaths they were taken to avoid the truth. And to avoid being held to the consequences of their oath. Um. Because Jesus began in his Sermon on the Mount by making it clear that he had not come to abolish the law. Right? That comes out very clearly in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And we had just seen in the law of God, as we read it in Deuteronomy 10, that God said, you are to swear by my name. Right? Deuteronomy ten twenty. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. And by His name you shall swear. Again, God never says don't use my name, but He does say only use my name in the ways I've told you to use my name. I mean, what did God mean when He said to the Israelites, "I want you to swear by my name"? He said, I want you to understand that when you take oaths, when you take vows, you are calling me to witness to the truth. That I am the only one who really can bear witness to the truth. I'm really the only one who can punish the truth breaker. Um, I bear witness to you, and so you are to swear when you swear in my name as the one who safeguards the truth. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, to say that that somehow was wrong. But what does Jesus do for the law? He comes and says, you've corrupted the law with all of your additions, with all the things you've attached to it, with all the inventions and the corruptions that you attach with it. And Jesus did come to strip those away, to reveal the law for what it truly is in its glory. And it's goodness for God's people. To show God that to show God's people that his name was great and the things that he had given them to do were good. And that when people took them and corrupted them, they did evil things with them. Um, that's why he comes and says what he does in the passage from Matthew that we read. Where he says, Don't swear in these ways. Um, because the Lord knows what you're doing when you take these oaths, um, they were swearing, you notice, not by God, um, but by heaven. Not by God, but by earth. Not by God, but by Jerusalem. Uh, not by God, but by their own heads. Um, they, were, they were using other things to swear by um, and using those things to Try to trick people into taking their oaths at face value, um, where you can swear by the temple, but if you don't, but if you don't swear by the gold of the temple, then the oath is not binding. And so this is one of you know it's kind of like they're using these oaths to try to trick people into thinking they're sincere, but really leaving themselves a backdoor way out. Um, sort of like cro- you know crossing your fingers behind your back when you make a promise. Um, as if somehow that means you're, you can make a promise and forget it. Or if, or if I were to say, I swear on my mother's grave, and somebody pointed out, your mother's not dead. Um, that, that's not much of an oath. Um, you know th- this, this was a, a hustle they were using to try to make oaths, but oaths that they didn't consider binding, because they weren't made in the proper form. And it's clear what Jesus thinks of those kinds of oaths. Right, He says, the whole of my Father's glory is bound up in everything that my Father has made. So in Matthew 5.33, listen to this again with that in mind, that he's saying, don't swear by these things, thinking that somehow God is not binding you to these oaths. In Matthew 5.33, he says, again, you've heard it said, As it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. You think it's nothing to swear by heaven? Heaven is the throne of God. Or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Right, capital K. Um, the Messiah, the Davidic king, um, or by the earth for his footstool, Jerusalem for it is the city of the king, and do not take an oath by your head, um, for you are made in the image of God. And you're not in sovereign over your head. You can't make one hair gray or black. Um, the older I get, the, the more I wish I could do that, but God's word says you can't. What, what, is, what is Jesus making the point? What is he driving home with them? He says that God is the author and the defender of truth, no matter how you try to avoid it. You can't take an oath. You can't pretend to be a champion of the truth. There's no hustle or dodge that works with God. God wants us to speak the truth. And he certainly doesn't want us to use oaths as a way of avoiding the truth. As some kind of hustle or dodge the way people were doing in Jerusalem. Well, I swore by the temple, but not by the gold of the temple. That would have been binding. Um, but now I'm not bound. And that, you know, that's your fault, buyer beware. And Jesus is coming along and saying, is, is that who you think our God is? You think you can do that and dodge the truth? do you think God is is a God who doesn't care about the truth? Jesus is saying God is the author and defender of truth, and no matter what you swear by, his glory is inscribed on everything that he's made. His glory is connected with the heavens that are his and the earth that is his, and the city of Jerusalem that he made to be the city of his king, and your head, which he made in his likeness. You can't separate the glory of God from the truth. You can't swear and not mean it. Because even when you think God is not involved in your oath, he is involved. And he's not partial. The old way of saying that is God is no respecter of persons. God is not a partial God. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care how much money you have. He doesn't care what race you are. He doesn't care about any of those things. He cares about the truth. And there's no avoiding the truth. Um, And there's no avoiding the fact that God is the great author and protector of the truth. And so we can swear reverently but not falsely or rashly. Remember that God is always called into account. God is always the one who is safeguarding the truth. He is the truth. He safeguards the truth. That should be a great comfort to us when people tell lies about us. When people say things that are false about the people of God. And you don't know any way to make them believe that what you're saying is true. And they may even swear up and down the things that they're saying about you are true when they're false. And what what is ultimately the comfort of God's people? It's that God knows the truth. And God doesn't just know the truth. He's the great defender of truth. He will see that the truth is vindicated. And so whether you take up his name or you don't, he's bearing witness to the truth. And that's what God's people can always trust in and should always remember when we swear oaths. And the catechism reminds us this has always been the case. God's people in the Old and New Testament have always taken the name of God with reverence to bear witness to the truth. Abraham did it. David did it. Paul does it several times. He does it twice in Romans, once in 2 Corinthians, calling God to witness. Jesus himself even allowed himself to be placed under an oath. Um, You might remember that scene in Matthew 26 uh, before the high priest. When Jesus is called to appear and he's not responding to the things that they're saying. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. What is he doing? He thinks he's putting him under oath. It's almost a comical thing to do, isn't it? I adjure you by the living God. Are you the Christ? Um, he's speaking to the one who is the living God. But notice that the Lord allows himself to be put under that oath by his response. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Um, Jesus allows himself to be put under oath in that sense. Um, and, And God is a God who testifies to oath keeping, as the great hope for God's people. Um, Think of Hebrews chapter 6. What is the hope that's held out to the people of God? The hope that's held out is God as an oath swearing God. And he keeps the oaths he's sworn. We can read in Hebrews 6, 13 through 17, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, that's a rich promise that comes to us from God's word, is that when he made this promise to Abraham, when he made the covenant promise, he swore an oath to do it. He swore under oath that he would do what he promised. And who, who can God take an oath to? Right? There's no one higher to call to witness. So God takes an oath in his, in his own name. Surely, as I, I will bless you, as surely as I live, God says, I will bless you. And we see that same pattern repeated in the Bible. When someone wants to drive home the truth, you see Old Testament saints saying, as the Lord lives, as surely as the Lord lives, this thing is true. And we see that the more important a thing is, the more important it is that God bear witness to that thing. Right? The promise to Abraham was pretty important. This is a church that's been well-instructed in the covenant of grace and the covenants that God makes with his people. We know just how important that promise is that God makes to his people. And he secures it with an oath. As surely as I live, I will do the things that I promised for my people. And it helps to show us that oaths should be taken, but oaths shouldn't be invoked lightly. When should they be taken? They should be taken in, in serious situations shouldn't be the kind of thing we toss around lightly. When should oaths be taken? Well, we read in the Catechism, when the government demands it or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good. Um, We can take oaths when the government demands it. Um, There are good reasons for that. Um, We can take oaths when necessity requires it. When there's no other way to prove that something is true, oaths can be taken in order to show forth the truth of what's being said. Um, And and the more serious the situation, the more serious the oath becomes. Um, There's a scene in 2 Samuel where people have killed one of Saul's descendants and they come to David thinking David's going to be very impressed that they've killed Saul. These descendants of Jonathan—they have their facts all wrong. But they come to him. They say, well, "I'm sure you'll be really thrilled that we did this." Well, he was your enemy, right? Um, and David says to them, "You know, as the Lord lives," and he wants them to really, this really to be driven home. "As the Lord lives, who redeemed my life out of every adversity." When the guy came to me who killed Saul and thought I would be happy about that, I put him to death. And Saul was an evil man. But he was the king. And when some guy killed him and came and thought it was going to be this great celebration, I killed him for that. And now you come and tell me about some innocent man you killed in his bed and think that as king I'm going to be happy about that? And he had them put to death. But what did he want the kingdom to know? As the Lord lives who's redeemed my life from every adversity, I did not feel that way about my enemies. Do you see how the situation is serious and he wants God's name to be invoked to bear witness to the truth? The more serious a thing is, the more right it is to put God's name attached to it. It's right when we take vows in church, as we heard this morning, taking membership vows that we call God's name to witness. We all who've made profession of faith have been charged in the name of God to continue steadfastly in the profession that we've made. It's important that pastors and elders take oaths that they will uphold, and deacons too, they will do what they've been instructed by God to do. That's when those things are important, that God should bear witness to those things. And so we have that example in the Old Testament. We have that example in the New Testament. We have that example even in our God. That he's willing to take oaths and we should be doing it when it's required. When it's needful for us. When we really need to validate the truth. Um, And when we swear that we should swear only by the name of God. Um, What's the common denominator in all the ways that they swear in the scriptures? They always swear only by God. Um, And I like what question 102 says. May we swear by anything other than God? The answer is clearly no. Um, A legitimate oath is calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No created thing is worthy of such honor. We're never to use oaths flippantly or rashly. We're calling God to witness to the truth. And that's a serious business. Um, And and that's, that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5. That's what James was talking about in James 5. Don't swear by worthless things. God is the witness to the truth whether you swear by his name or not. God's business is the truth. Just as when the devil opens his mouth, he speaks lies because that's his character. He speaks out of his character lying whenever he opens his mouth. God speaks the truth whenever he opens his mouth. God is concerned with the truth and God will punish the person who swears falsely. He's the only one who can do that. You know, Sometimes if we're in desperate situations where someone has told a falsehood about us, maybe you've been in that situation where someone has said something false about you and you feel like there's no way to remedy this. There's no way to kind of clear it up. There's no way to clear the air. And you think, how am I going to get out from under this accusation? How am I going to get out from under this notion that I'm this kind of person? One of the things that can really help us is to know, well, God knows the truth. He doesn't need to be told. It's one of the great hopes that God gives us about the coming of Jesus Christ. He won't judge by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear. He's not going to be dependent on the witness of others. He just knows. It's a wonderful thing to know that God just knows the truth. And that God only has the power to see what the truth is He has the power to enforce the truth. Um, One of the great hopes that God's people have for the end time is that God will come and vindicate them as being members of the truth. Um, It's one of the things I love about the last article of the Belgic Confession that talks about the end times, what's going to happen at the end. And it's written by a church that's under intense persecution. They're being persecuted as if they are enemies of the cross of Christ. As if they are enemies of the Roman church. As if they are the ones going out and sowing discord and strife. And they're being opposed by the true church. And they feel small. And they feel overwhelmed. And they know that just to confess the name of Christ is to put a target on their backs. And one of the great things they celebrate in that last article the Belgian Confession is one day people will know. One day, people will know that our cause was the cause of the Son of God. That was their hope in the midst of persecution. That God not only is a God who sees and knows the truth, but who vindicates those who are part of the truth. God knows, and one day, we will be vindicated as those who are for Him. And one day, our enemies and His will be punished for their lives and for their opposition of his kingdom. That's the hope that we hold out as God's people. And that hope should be encompassed every time there's an oath to be taken where we need to swear something and that we're called to invoke God's name in swearing it. It should be a reminder to us that we have a God who's concerned with the truth. Um, that's the comfort and the hope that we can live under, the vindication that God will bring to the truth. And so we ought to be people of the truth and trust ourselves to the one who is true. Just as Jesus did when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. What did he do? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And so God's people are always to keep that in mind when it comes to swearing oaths, when it comes to the truth, that God is always a witness. That's why we can let our yes be yes and our no be no. Because we know whether I say yes and I, as the Lord lives, it's true, or whether I just say yes, he's bearing witness to the truth. And he'll punish the the person who speaks falsely. And so we keep that in mind when we use his name, that we never use his name for worthless and empty things. But only... In the magnitude of his name, understanding who he is in relation to the truth and hope and trust in him. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for being the one who safeguards the truth. We thank you to know that you vindicate those who speak the truth. And Lord, where we are mindful of the times where we have not spoken the truth and when we have sworn falsely, To our own hurt, we pray that you would forgive us of our sins. If we've been convicted this evening about the lies that we've told and uh, the way we've treated the truth in the past, we pray that you would forgive us our sins. Remind us that Christ Jesus came also to die for liars, for those who swore falsely. Um, We pray that you would keep us, Lord, always walking after his example, that he was the truth and he spoke the truth and he brought life to light by his truth. May we hold his name high. May we remember that he is the one who will safeguard the truth, who will vindicate those who are of the truth, and who will punish those who tell lies. We pray that he might come quickly and vindicate his truth in the the world for your glory. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.